0: Hi, I'm Paul Gornson, I'm the CEO of Encore Energy Corp. We're the current, what we believe to be the newest producer in the United States. We expect to start production in 2023 and we've been growing our assets not only through organic growth of our current properties, but through mergers and acquisitions over the last two years. Uh, most notably, most recently the Azarga uranium transaction that uh, really expanded our our growth profile in the United States.
1: Paul, good to see you again. I haven't seen you since March. Um, what a what a year! It's been a kind of a little um, tumultuous, I think. Uh, Russia, Ukraine throwing a spanner in the works, and uh, we've had to rethink how we come out of this space. Like so, um, when we spoke last, you kind of built a sort of picture of what was going on, and what you were trying to trying to be. You've obviously raised thirty million bucks since I last saw so you. Um, got a few deals over the line, and you got a few new appointments. So, you know, how are things on the ground over there?
0: Well, they're going very well. It's uh, we we built our, our we targeted for production in 2023, and we've been since the last time we talked. We've been doing some significant acquisitions of uranium properties in Texas, and that has led us to the ha- start building a stable of products, projects, uranium projects that can feed our Rosita plant. Uh, we've nearly completed the, uh, the Rosita construction, the upgrade and modernization. We had some supply chain issues along the way, like the rest of the world did. And we started expanding our, or developing our first well field uh, to start to get geared up to go into production. Of course, as with anything you're trying to gear up, we're hire, you know, locating uh, drilling rigs to, to do the wealth installation, hiring c- critical staff. We've done some major upgrade, you know, additions to our technical team. With a, we brought on a COO, uh, Peter Luthiger, and we also brought on a, a chief administrative officer, uh, Greg Zerzan, who brings a lot. Of, these two bring a lot of wealth in the execution phase of what we're doing right now, and so it's pretty exciting. Get, and you know, when we last talked, we were working about the general fundamentals of the, the uranium markets. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, with the changes in the geopolitical situation, all our expectations we had last time we talked have changed dramatically uh, since then. So we're, we're also beeping, uh, what do you call it, uh, weaving and uh, do, dodging uh, all these things that are going on, trying
1: to, to build the best strategy we can in a changing environment. Yeah, it's changing for sure. Um, yeah. um, a lot, lot of moving parts in, in what you just said there, and I, I, if you don't mind, I kind of want, initially want to focus on what you've got and what you're trying to build, and then maybe we'll later come on to how you insert yourself into whichever ecosystem you're going for, suspect the, the US um, clearly. Um, so the Rosita plant, I mean, what's the capacity there? How much do you need to be able to feed into that to kind of get operating at optimum levels?
0: Well, the Rosita plant currently has a, a production capacity of uh, 800000 pounds of Uranium per year uh has capacity to do more than double if we decide to add the equipment. And in fact, we've already started to do uh, the early procurement for uh, the increased capacity at Rosita. We haven't fully executed on some of the major components yet uh, as we try to identify the right fit. But um, uh, the that's the capacity right now. And so our production plan right now is to fill up that get-to capacity so that when we're at capacity, we have the ability to, to take advantage of the investment that we're going to be putting in and increasing capacity. We can't forget we also have our Kingsville Dome Prop project that has its own license capacity of 800,000, not licensed, but uh, uh, production capacity of 800,000 pounds a year. That is also an option where we can, we can just move material to Kingsville as well. And, and and do production there as we increase capacity at Rosita at the same time. So if we if we hit our marks, uh everything will be done through Rosita. But if things come in much better than we expected, we have the ability to to use King's O'Dome Dome as our production option.
1: Right. So so it's a few options. Okay, um, double Rosita and or you know I think we did talk about it last time about okay, getting getting the second plant in, into production. It just depends on what's happening in the market. And obviously a lot has happened in, in the in the market since. So it, you're not processing yet at Rosita, are you? No, no, right. Well, we're but you're getting so you're in ready state for it. Twenty twenty-three, yeah. right? Okay, but you haven't done any test work through through the plant.
0: Uh, we've done some limited work right now. We have a bit more work to do in the dryer side. Uh, we've got to finish putting in some uh, the insulation and some pumps, etc. But we've received all of the equipment we need. It's just putting it in place and. Uh, It's a little later than we would like to have had, but uh, it's certainly, there's nothing that's going to delay us from starting up on schedule.
1: Right. Okay. And what's giving you the confidence to do this? Because most companies, CEOs come on here slightly terrified of actually having to do anything like like start producing because they're unsure of the market. The the go-to is we need term contracts, right? We need term contracts at a set price. That price has been moving over the course of the last, well, let, let, let's say beginning of the year for, for sure. Uh, well, so, well, during Covid, inflation, supply chain issues, but then obviously laterally, the Russia-Ukraine situation has put a, a new spin on things too. So um, why why kind of press that button and say, Do you know what, we need to be primed and ready to go in 2023? Why not wait like the rest? There's 2 reasons.
0: One is, is that we already have contracted volumes. So we have delivery starting in 2023. Now there's flexibility built in those contracts where technically we wouldn't have to produce to, to sell into them, but we make we get a better margin if we sell into those would produce pounds. Uh, we have also, as we have announced, we've had a have a couple of utility contracts we've also used or uh, put in place starting in 2024. And those provide the, as I would say, the the committed demand that we need to 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 make that production decision. Uh, when, and when the price hit put a hit exceeded forty dollars a pound uh we made that decision we're going into production
1: hell or high water type of thing why why tell me tell me about tell me about that because you know, forty bucks a pound that's nowhere near what people are talking about that you know, it used to be fifty five sixty now it's seventy seventy five so is it a case of it's good enough. We we can clear enough margin here, but more importantly, prove a route to market. Was that was that the intent? Yeah, and I, get first mover advantage. I would
0: say that uh, the decision was made that we, although we would still have a good, a decent margin. It's not going to be a great margin at that forty dollar price, but we also had to prove that we could do what we're going to do. Keep in mind, is Encore is a relatively new company within the uranium industry in the United States. And as a result, we have a lot. I don't think we have a lot to prove, but we we want to prove that we're able to deliver and and meet
1: our timelines. Right. So proof of, proof the concept, uh, and more importantly, make sure the plant is working, and therefore can be can be upgraded to. Um, or you can double capacity in in that sense. Can you talk about the the, the contracts? So, you know, how much of that was in your hands in terms of were were they binding contracts on your part, or were they? Options um, at whatever. At the no, they're binding level. contracts. So, right, uh, they're okay. all all three how, how are tied
0: to market prices. And one is uh, one 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 mark one contract we have, which we we announced in detail with uh, UGUSA, is strictly a, a spot price uh, with a slight discount off a spot uh, for deliveries. And that's a, that's the one that has the most flexibility. And then uh, the utility contracts uh, they have uh, floors and ceilings in them but they're market related and the, the ceilings are above uh, well above today's spot price today. So we'll see uh, additional as a spot price, we'll be able to see uh, continu- improving revenue when the spot price moves up. Uh, but I did that to, to assure that we have a, a, a committed buyer. If you've been following the spot market lately, uh, the, the real committed buyer has been spot or uh, spot physical uranium trust. And when they're not in the market, the price gets real soft. And uh, because there's no no real demand, now that will change. But if we compare it to today, by doing what we're doing, we have committed offtake. And that way, if uh, if we don't have to go find a place to fit in the market when there's no demand, we already have committed demand. And that's why we set these
1: up. Right. Right. Okay. And so how many pounds are you talking about in each of those instances? Uh, for 2023,
0: 20, it's 400,000 pounds in a year. And then we advanced to... to uh, £600,000 in uh, 2024. And in 2025, it's £700,000 and stays there about that through 2027. And it drops off because uh, the UG contract drops off. and uh, But we're okay. already working to fill that gap beyond that right now
1: to, to replace the UG demand. Right. Okay. So obviously getting into production will prove to other utilities that you're capable and gives them the confidence that they can Write bigger contracts yes. with you, not in terms of well, hopefully dollar terms, but in terms of pounds, uh, amount of pounds. And, I, and, and during that period, you're looking to obviously drive efficiencies through the through the plant by either doubling output or actually just we, weeding out some of the, the 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 issues that there always are with with startups. Okay, um, g- good stuff. Can you t- tell us about some of the acquisitions? Because I'm, I'm trying to work out the the, the size of the portfolio. How you go about working out which ones will produce the pounds, which one will produce the pounds economically, or more economically than others, and which ones perhaps need a little bit more work? I mean, how, how do you, how do you view the portfolio? So, what we've done since last time we talked, when we last talked, we
0: completed the Westwater acquisition, and uh, and since that time, we've completed the Azarga uranium transaction. So that gave us production assets in South Dakota and Wyoming in addition to what we're doing in Texas, but I'm gonna focus on Texas right now. Uh, We have, since we last visited, we've actually went and acquired uh, uranium mineral properties that have uh, been previously permitted and licensed. We've got that done. uh, And we've started the permitting process right now to to bring those into under our current licenses uh, at Rosita. But that was a significant, we haven't published any numbers on it, but there's significant uranium, historic uranium resources in there. Which would, with all of our Texas assets put together, will fulfill all of our, our contracted uranium demand uh, uh, through the end of their their the contracts. So that we'll have enough resources, more than enough resources, to be able to support that uh, those that demand. On top of that, with the and that, that's starting in 2023, you'll, we'll be announcing more, uh, more pri- more resources, et cetera. And, uh, that will be coming online in 2024, which will be as we talk about this increasing uh, contractual demand. That's where we're filling it from, mm-hmm. and once we have that uh, put together in a public document, uh, we can talk more freely about it. But on top of that, mm-hmm. we also have the fully licensed South Dakota uh, Dewey Burdock project in South Dakota, mm-hmm. which is a is one of I think is one of the best projects out there. It was uh, uh, that we acquired through the Azarga Uranium project. Uh, granted, it has had some permitting and licensing lags and timelines, but from a fundamental operational, economic basis, it is is a very good project. And it's it's uh, the the PEA has it uh, that they public that was published by Azarga indicates that I believe at a fifty five dollar per pound market it has substantial significant net present value and a good internal rate of return. And don't quote I'm not going to quote numbers because I don't remember them right now. And then, and then. Coupled with that, and almost on us, you know, is our, the, the Wyoming property called Gas Hills, which have substantial resources. All those we saw is kind of building that, uh, that uh, production level, and the timing works out, uh, assuming which, you know, by 2025, we'll be able to start developing the, either South Dakota or Wyoming, whichever one meets that uh, threshold. Uh, with respect to the permit and licensing because we've already started preparing the permanent licensing for Wyoming right now. It's one of the other activities we have ongoing. And so we want to be able that we want to be able to continue to add have additional capacity, not just in Texas but uh, elsewhere. So we have multiple production centers. And that provides a lot okay. of Okay.
1: Go ahead. No, I was about to say um okay I mean congratulations on the on the decision by the US Court of Appeal. On the Chief Birdart license, um, it obviously in your favor, good. And um, do you think there's any going to be any sort of further um, issues with the uh, Oglala Sioux Tribe there? I mean, do you, is, or is that matter now closed? I,
0: I won't say there won't be. I believe that uh, with respect to the, uh, the the legal actions that are going relative to the permits and everything, we hit a major milestone. On August 9th, when the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, uh, gave a decision on the, uh, the the challenges to the Dewey Burdock NRC license, granted, there is an opportunity for them to appeal. But we believe that, based on the strength of that decision and precedence, that even if there is an appeal process, we will prevail on that. But the challenge, what it does, is that the other permitting, the EPA, which is all process, we have a. a A uh, Oxford exemption and a Class 3 injection permit that were approved by EPA and signed off but are being challenged by the tribe as well. But the interesting thing is the same contentions that the tribe is challenging those two permits are the same ones that they were currently decided upon by the D.C. Circuit. So once we determine if there's going to be a continued uh, appeal of the the NRC D.C. Circuit, uh, if once it's... Hopefully, we find out it's not going to be appealed, and if that's the case, then the EPA process can immediately stop/start based on the outcomes of that decision. And uh, so, we're expecting that to take 12 months or so to get done, get through the process. Uh, you know, but everything—it's a typically the chicken and egg. It feels like sometimes you know, got to get one step done first before you get the other one, and the other one can't happen without that one, and etc. So uh, we, we know the process, we know the players, we know the, and so I have high confidence we'll prevail. And that does, but it, you know, always because you're dealing with courts with all this stuff, there's always a uncertainty on timing, not necessarily certain on the, certainty on the decision, certainly on timing. But that's the other reason why we're advancing the, Wyoming, the, the gas hills project at the same time, because uh, the state of Wyoming is a, an agreement state. So there's very little federal review and we believe that we'll track that at the same time. And so, if if I had a bet, it would be a horse race between Dewey Burdock and Gas Hills when they come into produ- when they meet that production timeline. Meanwhile, we're continuing to add assets in Texas that can fill and continue to expand our demand, our production out of Texas as well uh, over that period of time. So, I see you know us advancing on three fronts. No one front is is dependent on the other front to get uh, to to uh, the company strategy.
1: Okay, okay, I understand. I, um, like I I get they would we have so many conversations around you know companies' views on how how long EIA pro um, pro, um permits are. Um, or DIA, depending where you are in the world. Um, same thing. First Nations issues are on the rise. You've got ESG concerns across the board, and NGOs and so forth. It's it's a much Longer, more, more difficult road, um, and I guess it's you know we look to see how companies navigate that those roads. So, so, that, so that's, a, that's a good start. Good luck with that one. Um, just on, um, there's another conversation going on in the market, which is this kind of high grade versus low grade, and sort of ISR sort of sits, sits I guess, slightly off to one side in the sense that because of the kind of low capex component, the grade isn't a conversation that you come across very often, but you know, what, what sort of grades are you talking about and what do we actually understand about the economics of the different projects?
0: Our grades are, are relatively low compared to what we're used to hearing, let say, out of the Athabasca Basin, et cetera, and some conventional projects. We're certainly well h- higher, our grades are stronger than what we see coming out of Namibia. Uh, so our grades typically run about 0.1, 0.09, uh, maybe a little higher. Uh, on average for our ISR projects. And uh, uh, we we have a cutoff grade of, uh, obviously the cutoff is 0.03%, but uh, on average we're closer to 0.1% on average. And that's what we need to, to, there's factors, there's reasons why, not only just as we talk about grade relative to cost, et cetera, but the grade also drives how efficient the reaction is in the in situ recovery side. Uh, the, the, uh, it's not just a chemistry, you know, a leaching chemistry thing. It's also kinetics, and the higher the grade, uh, the uh, uh, the easier it leaches, the faster it leaches, and uh, and the more, the less cost it takes because the, the the whole plant recovery side that increases your whole plant average grade. Uh, that your uh, chemical use is much more efficient, so. Around that point one, it's actually, it actually works really well for ISR. When you get in the high grades in ISR, and that's like closer to 1%, and, and the geochemistry and the geology of the uh, uh, typical uh, uh, ISR deposits, which are redistributed ore bodies, there's a reason why that grade is there, and it's probably not because it's amenable to ISR mining. Uh, that uranium stayed there and stayed locked in and didn't relocate and so when you get too much uh, grades are significantly higher than one percent, the ability to uh to uh leach be- goes down significantly
1: it, it's in it's in- it's an interesting conversation is it because i can i guess to the Majority of people kind of looking into mining, new to mining, which is an audience we we, we try and bring it bring in here from from other uh, verticals. Um, you, they would hear the chant, you know, "Greater, greater is king," but it isn't always necessarily the case. It's one out of many many factors, and uh, you know. And I just uh, good to hear you sort of talk talk about you know, obviously what, what what's important to you guys. I mean, obviously the the other kind of factors in terms of where where you are, infrastructure. Um, skill staff, etc. Has that been a problem during this kind of COVID-ridden time? There, yes,
0: there there have been challenges, and that's mainly in the, the technical field, like for engineers, geologists, uh, heck, even accountants. Uh, but uh, the uh, uh, from the field, you know, from the trade area, the trade skills that has not nearly been as much of an issue as that one might think, because uh, where we're located, particularly in South south Texas is that there's a a significant of infrastructure built around the oil and gas industry. And if you think about oil and gas wells and how those operate, it's not a big, it's a significant scale change to go to in situ recovery, but from a skill set basis, I can take a worker who's worked in the oil field and move them as an operator for us, and it's not gonna take a dramatic change, uh, a really steep learning curve outside of just changing the procedures and processes that they go through. Uh, I find that uh, their skill sets are easily transferable from the oil and gas industry to our business. It's almost seamless. And uh, then it becomes a matter of pay scale at that point, what you can do to attract people.
1: Right. And that, that's, one of the, that's one of the areas which, I guess, it, it one, it's difficult to staff, at two, the kind of cost of that staffing. And so generally, inflationary environment, you're looking to get in production next year. Have you, did you see, were you able to lock in prices or did you take a bit of a hit in terms of the capex for some of this? Or will you take a bit of a hit in the capex? So
0: our capex hasn't really taken, well, obviously the costs have gone up. I'm not going to deny that. But I, I kind of, when prices were increasing, you know, it's just like with any other, uh, type of uh, commodity purchasing, uh, PVC was a commodity I was acquiring. And, uh, and so I basically fixed a price on what we needed, all the, the PVC casing we needed for our well fields by buying an entire production run, uh, from the manufacturer. Uh, I had to go to alternate suppliers uh, uh, out of Mexico versus uh, the, uh, out of the U.S. for normal suppliers simply because there's so much demand out there for the we're competing with municipalities and with other industries at the same time and the U.S. government uh, for a lot of the same materials. We have to come up with alternative suppliers. But uh, I uh, was able to, to lock in prices by buying a production line. I've done that for several components. Uh, that we did, we made a decision to buy early, f- fix the price, and prepay. Uh, granted, uh, in the past we would conserve cash and and uh, and basically buy as we needed. That's not an option these days. So we had to convert our cash into actual material, and uh, so we could secure our our production.
1: Right. Okay. So. I guess carefully ma- managing the capital at, at, at the moment. Um, I want to talk about um, some of the conversations coming out of the WNA last week in, in London, which were very positive. You know, Everyone was in a, in a, in a good mood, U- European and US utilities alike were there. We um, also had um, Dr. Catherine Huff from the US Department of uh, Energy there, who stood up and said that the US needs to double its nuclear energy production by 20 2050 i thought okay that's a bit aggressive um what are you going to do about it and we said well the, the, the funds and the incentives will be there also talked about the uranium reserve which is you know again interesting that that they're they're having that kind of conversation in public again and that very much the the enrichment problem was something that they wanted to they wanted to solve but what what do you as a ceo of a uranium, U.S. uranium company and, and, and U.S. domiciled um, assets, as it were. Um, what are you actually hearing from the government? Is it is it just politicking, or is there actually genuine help uh, or concern from the DOE um, and something anything that you can take advantage of? Quite frankly, I think I don't
0: think it's politicking. I think it's real. Uh, the um, I'll give you a, a bit of an anecdote about it. Is that uh, When the, uh, the, obviously when the, the Russia invaded Ukraine, it created all kinds of disruptions and a lot of different markets, uranium, nuclear, even getting material out of Russia, enriched material, you know, that made some headlines for a bit. It it created a wake up call within the U S government that, you know, paraphrase, Hey, we got a problem or, and, uh, so, uh, uh, we, you know, they pitched this uh, 4.3 billion dollar LEU, uh, low enriched uranium, HALU, high assay, low enriched uranium uh, purchasing program, uh, kind of generally, and didn't really give a lot of meat to it. And uh, subsequently, with uh, trade association meeting with DOE folks from DOE, it's effectively basically an outgrowth of the nuclear fuel working group. Uh, recommendations and, and back in 2020 uh, that uh, are effectively on steroids. So, in other words, to to something that they thought was going to take 15 to 20 years to accomplish, uh, DOE is advancing that to five to 10 years. If, that, if you understand what I mean, and uh, and so uh, it's what the intent is is that to actually buy low enriched uranium. I'm going to stay with low enriched uranium to build a bank in case of supply disruptions. And that the U.S. government would be the highest, basically, the buyer of choice in the market, so that uh, they would incentivize uh, increased enrichment capacity and enriched uh, increased uh, conversion capacity, which are the key right now—the the kind of the, the weak points in our supply chain uh, that we've allowed to atrophy over the last 25 years. And, uh, and that, and, but because it's U.S. government, they have to buy U.S. origin material for anything that, because the U.S. government, that's what the U.S. government does. So I see that as a knock-on effect for the U.S. suppliers like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the DOE will end up placing a premium on U.S. material, uh, to uh, support new production. Uh, that's all at the same time where we've got utilities that are also looking for domestic Western enrichment and everything. So now you've got the U.S. government that's effectively gonna be a competitor competitor, uh, against our nuclear utilities and their utilities competition effectively has no cost limitation. They can pay it it whatever price, as long as they spend a budget. So right now there's a $1.5 billion emergency request in front of Congress that the DOE put in as part of uh, a, a, the, the administration put in as part of Ukraine aid bill, uh, that's intended to do exactly that is to, to incentivize new enrichment and conversion capacity, and ultimately that will tie to increased uh, U.S. Demand, demand for U.S. uranium.
1: Right. But that takes a while to get in place, right? So the next three to five years, and assuming Governments remove all the kind of red tape involved, usually involved with permitting and licensing for for such things. Um, it's still going to take three to, three to five years. What's the What's the short term fix the for the U.S. government and all well, of the this? Short, there's Make not friends. a real good
0: short term fix that the U.S. government can provide. Uh, it's going to be the commercial industry. It's going to have to to drive that uh, that fix. So uh, there's going to have you know the, the already already see signs of that. Enrichment capacity can be increased by increasing tails assays. So instead of having a 0.16 U235 tails assay, increasing that to a 0.2, 0.25, or 0.3 U235 tails assay uh, can uh, improve the amount of enrichment that enriched LEU that's coming out, but it puts more demand on conversion uranium and but the expectation is that uh, there will be more conversion coming into market. Again, it's one of those things that you know. I was at uh, I didn't go to WNA, but I went to World Nuclear Fuel Markets in Montreal back in June, and the conversion suppliers and the enrichment suppliers saying we will deliver that capacity if you'll give us term agreement, you know, price uh, uh, the, the demand and give us locked in because they don't want to make the commitment if everything's going to back back to the way it was prior to February. Twenty fourth. I
1: think that that's, that's happening all around the world. Something the battery models space as well is like the knock on effect further down the the, the, the supply chain. Um, it's people needing assurances and guarantees, which very few can give uh, around the kind of the supply um, in terms of price. Um, and demand is obviously seems to be there for almost any any metals you look at at the moment. Um, so th- that, that's kind of interesting. So the U.S. is up between a sort of rock and a hard place at the moment. But eventually, the the beneficiaries will sort of c- will come down to companies like yourself and in, in the U.S. in terms of domestic supply. Um, are there, but are there any kind of assurances now, or is it really a case of wait and see how this plays out? I'm, I'm trying to get a sort of sense of timing as every every. Uranium investor is as to how this plays out and when.
0: Well, with respect to you know, obviously we know. Let's set aside the government program that's going on, which I believe will will be a a put in place. uh, The on the on the current short term side, we're starting to see some of those assurance. and I can only I can't speak on behalf of conversion and enrichment, but I can talk on our behalf. Is that uh, we've seen quite a bit more utility inquiries into getting uh, uh, supply uh, I always tell people is that prior to February 24th I had to call the utilities to set up meetings or get phone calls with them to to have a conversation and now they they call me and uh, I'm not I'm not saying that's a great thing or not but what I'm getting at is that it's just changed the dynamics and so a good example is we announced uh, even if it was a small contract uh, back in July uh, uh, I would say that one of the outcomes of the changing dynamics in the market is that we were able to secure a, a term agreement with a small utility uh, that probably would not have uh, thought about it uh, uh, you know, prior prior to February 24th, or it would not have been a priority for them. But they made it a priority for them to, to secure that supply, domestic supply. And I wouldn't say it was done in desperation measures. It's probably about planning and, and transitioning away from uh, the former supply chains are not. I wouldn't. You know, there's not a rush to the market by the utilities for uranium. There is for conversion and enrichment. If you look at conversion enrichment prices, they have spiked, and that's because there's intense demand and competition for that capacity. Uranium will come with that demand. Once that demand is, is secured, then the uranium has to be purchased to fill that that capacity or that that what they have purchased. And so we're starting to see a a lot more inquiries and inbounds from nuclear utilities, with the ones that have been kind of doing what I would call uh, uh, providential planning. To you know, they started seeing things going one direction. They started locking in various supply points along the way. Now, but the follow-on is okay. Now we got the central part of supply chain secured. Now we need to get the feed. That's what we're starting to see now. And so. And I, I see a lot less resistance to higher prices. Uh, they're willing to secure higher floor prices for for contracts. Uh, that, uh, and uh, what's been helping is the fact that now we've got real reporting on what costs look like. Trade Tech does a monthly report that does an assessment on on uh, production costs uh, around the world and incentive prices, and that's that's helped provide something that's. Not just my numbers, but someone else's numbers that can help supply that uh, position.
1: Yeah, we, we were talking about we'd run a, a weekly um, energy show talking about nuclear and uranium every week, um, and it's been sort of quite, it's quite interesting sort of looking at the the trade tech or trade bodies. I've got, there are a couple. Uh, pick pick the one you like. Um, the the way that they are forecasting the movement of these numbers. But I guess the interesting thing for companies like you is. How does that affect margin? Because as prices go up, costs are going up as well, and, and you, you know it's all kind of relative. So, um, how do you get a sense of what that's going to look like? Projecting out your own numbers in terms of your your cost structures versus what you think the, the whether big you know the term prices are or if you sell at spot, you when know what the floor prices are for for that. Are you is that something that, that concerns you guys um, much? I know we talked about it at the beginning of the conversation, but it's you, you got you kind of gotta have a, a view on, you know, how, how the economics stack up, and continually reassess those economics in this environment, don't you?
0: Well, obviously it concerns us uh, the increasing cost, and we are. I will say that, you know, we do a constant budgeting cycle, so we can get an idea of what our cost is going to look like, and it does get revised. Uh, there is an increased cost, but uh, we're still. You know, I would say because we're blessed with not having to spend a lot of capital. On our South Texas projects, and the fact that our ore bodies are are really well understood, we don't have to do a lot of advanced work on them because there's been a lot of work already done, Uh, and they're relatively shallow, and the grades are decent, Uh, and so uh, we can be competitive. You know, we we even with the the current uh, 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 the current floor, I mean not floor price, but say trade Texas trade Texas uh, production pi- price index, uh, we still are well competitive below that number. Uh, and that's because we're very fortunate with the assets we have. And uh, that is uh, what I believe gives us an advantage uh, right now. Uh, when you got some of our competition saying, well, we need something with a seven, uh, a seven handle on the price or a, a high six handle. I will take those, but I don't have to have those to make my production decision
1: because I will make money uh, numbers lower than that, right? And how, do, how does the financing thing work? Because obviously it's a lot less capital. Um, presumably the capital providers, in whatever shape that money comes in, are going to like the fact that it's less capital, and therefore the cost of capital will also be uh, reduced somewhat. Is, is that true? I mean, where are you with those sorts of conversations in terms of the, the type of money you want?
0: Well, on the cost of capital, you know, the it's mo- it's a moving target right now because. The uh, uh, you know we've with the markets the overall markets overall drive a lot of that sentiment, and so um, what we're doing right you know there's, there's you know we we've seen obviously a higher increase increases in interest rates so that means uh, any debt you take is going to have a higher cost associated with it than what we would seen a year ago or six months ago for that matter, uh, but also with the, the weaker the, the, just the downturn in the overall markets. Uh, uh, it creates a situation where you've got uh, a little less enthusiasm about the sector because the, of the fact that the equities are, are, are down uh, as a result of various market uh, uh, trends, et cetera. So the cost of, cost of capital has gone up. So the way we're mitigating that is a couple of ways. One is is that we're managing our capital expenditures and trying to keep those as low as possible so we don't see a, a surge in that. Uh, the other is we're looking for alternative ways to get capital, like uh, potential for forward sales of uh, uranium uh, as a means to basically securing capital through future production. As a potential, uh, I won't say we've done that yet, but that's some of the avenues we're looking at: is alternative type measures uh, means for uh, getting capital, uh, so we don't have to go out and, for for lack of a better term, hit our you know basically go out and do a, a large. Uh, uh, equity raise, uh, so we can minimize that uh, cost of capital.
1: It's driven through that side. Thank well, you think lucky stars. You're not dealing with FX as well. It's all dollars. Um, yeah, so I think that's affecting some, some people. Okay, and in terms of um, the again, just just sticking with the economics, um, if I may. In terms of the economics, how does this kind of spoke and hub? Um, set up work because you've got you've got one plant, well, potentially a second one coming online as well, but you've got multiple um, assets, right, of a certain size and of a certain grade. Does does the, does there a point where the there there are some economies of scale on that because you can start you can move wells around or you can move equipment around and move people around or, or do they kind of sort of have their own balance sheet?
0: For lack of a better phrase, a hub and spoke approach has a lot of advantages going for it. One is is that uh, I can put I can put smaller uh, I can go on to what I would call smaller deposits so I don't have to have massive scale uh, to support the, the infrastructure that backs it up. so uh, a good example is is that uh, uh, we have these small satellite plants that came when we acquired Westwater they have these uh, 1,000 gallon per minute satellite plants that are modular in size they're already acquired it's we'll have to buy pumps, et cetera but we can pick those up. Put them on a trailer and move them to another location as we deplete well fields. And that's a cost of capital, you know, that's a cost efficiency there. The other thing is, once the uranium is loaded onto resin, the ore body grade is immaterial because the resin can, has the same grade uh, as it loads up. It has a certain loading capacity. And when it loads up to that level and is sent to the plant, uh central processing plant like Rosita, it, all the resin that's coming in, regardless of the location, it could come in from three or four different locations. And it's going to be the same uranium, same grade on that resin. And so the, at that point, it pretty much uh, uh, um, homogenizes for the plant which, uh, and for the uranium circuit. And, and also because of selectivity of the ion exchange resin, we don't get contamin- different contaminants from different locations. So the hub and spoke process works very efficiently that's been successfully done in Wyoming. And uh, in my case, it allows me to go to multiple, there's not a lot of, because Texas is broken up by a lot of uh, private lands, there's no federal lands uh, or no significant federal lands or state lands where we can go get basically secure large swaths of land to build a package uh, or a, a whole project to support it. We have to go and look at discrete areas. It allows me to go and target a well field that may or put in a a project that has one million pounds on it, at the same time I'm developing one that has four million pounds on it, and another one could have two million pounds on it. But the cost for installing the one for one million pounds is the same capex as it is for the two because you're using the same equipment uh, and all you're doing is ex- adding equipment to for the larger deposits. And it works out very well because it's scalable. and. Uh, and That's the beauty of it. It, it, it makes all things equal. Now, grade always will be different because you're different deposits, and that'll change things and depth and everything else. But overall, it's, it brings about its own efficiencies because of the fact that uh, it creates kind of this clearinghouse for uh, different ore bodies without upsetting the, the processing circuit,
1: right? Okay, interesting, and maybe something we come back to another, another time because there's quite a few. Topics we want to come back to another time. So it's, it'd be interesting to get into the weeds with you on that one. But um, I, I kind of tip my hat towards the fact the consolidation in, in relation to the uh NASDAQ listing. So that's got to be good news for you. Um obviously the rollback connected with your share price needs to be at a certain level to get the institutions um interested. So how many conversations with these larger institutions are you having? Because your aim's always been the sort of Poor cousin, as it were. It's a very small space, very small sector. The companies weren't big enough. The liquidity wasn't there. Is that slightly changing? Are you seeing some of these generalists come in now?
0: Uh, we haven't yet, but we will once we're, I would say, as we actually hit that mark onto the NASDAQ. Uh, we're getting, when we talk to uh, folks, uh, large institutions uh, out there, there is a very positive reaction to our NAS, you know, getting us getting on a senior exchange uh, because they have restrictions on, you know, the venture exchange or, or, share price and everything else. So the consolidation was key. Uh, I think that everybody recognized that we needed to do it. And then also that uh, uh, we believe that uh, the NASDAQ is, you know, whether you're going on NYSE or NASDAQ, uh, everybody has a different opinion, which one's better, but uh, we get exposed to liquidity, but also more, there's more institutions that are watching those senior uh, 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 Markets than we do than would be on the venture, and obviously OTC, uh, you won't get institutions really looking at that very closely. So we think this is a big move for us, and uh, it's exciting. I, I mean, it was, you know, we watched our, you know, we did this the share consolidation. You watch your price and everything else, and keep your fingers crossed and all that, and and uh, and uh, now we just got to finish up. You know, if everything goes but we're working on getting all the paperwork done for the SEC approval right now, but it's all looking good, and we're very excited about it. I am. We should
1: be. I think. I think that's a big. That's a really big move um, for you guys. Um, it's also quite a big move for uranium, more broadly, to be um, on, on the Nasdaq, and you know, people, the right people. Well, the big guys having a look at this, uh, because they're certainly writing it up. And you know, that's interesting, the way the bank's narrative has changed. And they're actually paying attention, they're making comments, and they're allocating analysts to write reports on the thesis here, which is something they haven't done for a long, long, long time. And uh, likewise, I think a lot of the politics too, the narrative has changed. This energy crisis has given Nuclear and and therefore uranium, the um, boost that it needs. So um, now you just got to take advantage of it, Paul. That's all. Yeah,
0: easy. We're going to do our best to do it wisely and as as efficient as effectively as possible.
1: Exactly. We love efficiency. Okay, so well, I appreciate you making your time and coming and joining us, um, and sort of sharing your thoughts on not not just the the market, but you know how you're going to go about and take take advantage of the situation uh, whilst the sun is shining. So, Paul, thank you for your time today. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much again.